Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building. you set yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economic. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march or demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never changed anything.
All right, time for another uh, installment. It's my house, and today's podcast is titled um, Booker T. Washington Goes Solar. Booker T. Washington Goes Solar. Uh, live stream number 619-768-2945. We're going to get into the philosophy of uh, Booker T. Washington because that's just, just me on an individual basis, I think. That's where a lot of us, regardless of race, but particularly African-Americans, we, we need to get back to the basics. And I really like his philosophy. So we're, we're going to get into that and what I mean by Booker T. Washington goes solar. Uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education, and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man a hundred years ago, and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he has he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, in the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind and make, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, he'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen. All right, like I said a couple minutes ago, today's podcast is titled Booker T. Washington Goes Solar. The original title, and I guess I really should have kept it, the original title was Booker T. Washington 7.0. And this podcast was basically inspired by, uh, I think, three, three, three events. Uh, one was the conviction of Bill Cosby last week. And uh, one of our callers, he he put out one of my trigger words, lone wolf. Bill, Bill Cosby was essentially a lone wolf. Um, and he just didn't have any, well, that's, we're going to get in that during the podcast, any political, legal, social backup. Um particularly in the unseen hand of it. And um, 
Well, there was another podcast last week where um, one of the uh, matter of fact, he concert um, in reference to uh, maybe why some people haven't picked up the teachings of Warren Houston as they should have. Uh, they can't comprehend it. So I was thinking, particularly after um, this past weekend, I, I uh, listened to the uh, audio book of Up From Slavery, which you can get on YouTube. Uh, it's free. They got several audio books of it. And I already had it on my phone, but I listened to the audio book. So I, I think... Um, not just for African Americans, but African Americans in particular is just my opinion. We need to get back to basics. And I, I like the Booker T. Washington philosophy um, on that. So that that's why, like I said, the original title for this podcast was Booker T. Washington 7.0. Because in my opinion, one of the Basic fundamental educations that we need um, is legal. However, let me, I mean, fundamental, I'm not saying you have to go to law school, but this is some basics. However, along with that, all right, there are, um, there, renewable energy is in the pioneer phase, globally speaking, particularly here in the United States. So in the pioneer phase, you're able to develop industries out there. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, and the same thing with legal education. Because uh, when Kansu said comprehend, I'm still processing that one. Because maybe we need to bring it, I mean, bring it down on, I mean, legal education on an elementary, like a, a Dick and Jane Jit Dane Spot first grade or coloring book for first graders on, you know, how to get them to, you know, learn the basics as well. Anyway, so let let me play um something by this is a short thing about Booker T. Washington because the longer audios were the file were too big for me to upload. So let let me play this and then get into it. Without question, Booker T. Washington was the single most well-known African-American of his time and may have been the most celebrated black person in the entire world. Future educator and orator, Booker T. Washington was born a slave on a Virginia plantation on April 5, 1856. He had to work as a young child, and so he had to juggle hours walking miles and miles to school and then rush back to work. It was very difficult, but he was determined, and that's how he learned to read and write. Washington was allowed to attend school while working as a servant, and in 1872, he befriended the founder of Hampton Institute, who offered him a scholarship to the school. The emphasis of that school was on industrial education, on crafts, on technical skills, teaching blacks and the former slaves how to make themselves valuable to the community in a very literal way. Washington taught at Hampton before being appointed by General Samuel Armstrong to head the newly formed institute in Tuskegee in 1881. This was a groundbreaking endeavor because Armstrong trusted this young man to go to Alabama 
and create something basically out of nothing. During the post-reconstruction period, tensions between African Americans and Southern whites were at a fever pitch. But as evidence of racial progress, Washington was asked to address a predominantly white audience at the 1895 Atlanta Expo. The speech turned Washington into a national figure. The Atlanta Compromise speech is viewed as controversial because he essentially said that politics was for mainstream society and the thing for African Americans was to be separate as the fingers on our hand and not involve ourselves with white society. Booker T. Washington saw that as a bargain that he had to strike. Those who disagreed with him felt that he had conceded far, far too much to the conservative white South. In 1900, Washington formed the National Negro Business League to promote the economic development of African Americans. One year later, he chronicled his life in the autobiography, Up From Slavery. Booker T. Washington's autobiography was one of the most influential books published by an African American at the turn of the century. Washington urged African Americans to accept their unequal position in society while secretly funding litigation for civil rights cases. In 1905, however, leaders such as W.E.B. Du Bois renounced Washington's philosophy and insisted upon full civil rights for all African Americans. There were people during Washington's time and even now who were very critical of Washington's racial politics. Washington was willing to trade political and voting rights for economic rights. And Du Bois and others said, that's too hard a bargain. Washington remained principal of Tuskegee and wrote a total of 14 books before his death on November 14, 1915. He was buried on the campus of Tuskegee University. Mark Twain is now thought of as America's first celebrity because he was so good at capturing the public imagination and it became important to him to have a public image. Okay. Um, like I said, uh, this past weekend I, I uh, listened to an audio book of Up From Slavery. Uh, so that's on YouTube uh, for free. And then, of course, you can, um, <clears throat> if you have a phone or something like that, you can uh, download the uh, e-book onto your phone, computer, desk, whatever you, the electronic device you have. Now, in, in light of the Bill Cosby um Conviction last week. Matter of fact, Bill Cosby conviction, the Starbucks debacle, uh, the high-profile homicides of black men. I think critical mass bases, African Americans, need to get back to what I call the basics. And I think one book that needs to be on everyone's shelf. Um, regardless of color, would be up from slavery. Because I look at Booker T. Washington as an innovator and a pioneer. And uh, I agree with the idea of get your economics together, your economic rights first, and then other stuff will fall into place. Because once you have your economic, I'll give an example. This is why this is how I'm looking at the Bill Cosby case. 
Bill Cosby with net worth three hundred million dollars or whatever, and essentially, as one caller uh, stated last week, he was up there a lone wolf. Because what it came down to, well, it, it's a few things. Uh, the first trial, he um, it was his word against you know uh, the state's star witness. All right. That ended in a mistrial. The second trial, um, they ganged up on him, six against one. You know, he got convicted on all three things. But as you look at the the, the back part of the backstory on it, the district uh, uh, attorney, that prosecutor, uh, who's a politician, he ran. That was one of his campaign promises, but you know, to open up the Bill Cosby case. That was one of his campaign. We went over that yesterday. That was one of his campaign promises. But then you take the backstory on him running for the district attorney's office, and that's one of his issues, Bill Cosby, opening up that case. George Soros, and you can look this up online, George Soros donated $7 million in campaign funds to various people running for district attorney in the state of Pennsylvania. Then another part of the backstory, the governor of Pennsylvania had to throw in his two cents after the you know, after the conviction of Bill Cosby last week. And if you look at when he ran for governor in the state of Pennsylvania, he had to, he raised fifty million dollars. All right. So you you look at who did who who was pissed off at Bill Cosby and put Put some campaign funding in there where it got the attention of the the the, the governor as well as the, the guy running for DA, where it became a campaign issue. It was a campaign issue for the DA, um, not not the, what do you call it the uh, the governor. However, you do have to you have to take a look at these. So, in order for Bill Cosby. Because one of the, you know, the, the audio I played at the beginning of this program with Claude Anderson, you know, with the, with the, the, you know, the five stages, the first stage is economics. And then you take your money from the economics, as Claude Anderson says, you buy, lease, or rent your politicians. All right. So Bill, Co- Bill Cosby sitting there. Thank you, Connie, for waking me up last week. Lone Wolf. What, it does, he could have been worth a trillion dollars. And Bill Cosby donated a lot of money to academic causes. However, sounds like he didn't donate any money or not many, not enough money to people running for the governor or DA's uh, DA's office. So, if we, my belief, and y'all can chime in on this, my belief, particularly African Americans. We need to get back to the Booker T. Washington basic of economics. The re- reason why, instead of calling this podcast and telling this podcast today, uh, you know, the original name, Booker T. Washington 7.0, I put solar on there. Actually, it should be solar and then law study. Is because with, renew- with the renewable energy uh, trades, there's, it's in a pioneer phase right now. Matter of fact, it's been in a pioneer phase for over 10 years. So you can 
literally know nothing about solar, wind, biofuels right now and start watching YouTube videos and then networking people and then with, within a map, within 12 months or so, uh, you can probably start a little renewable energy business and then, you know, get that going and then scale it up to an industry if you want. Uh, with other people, of course. Uh, same thing. So African-Americans, we missed the dot-com boom. So the renewable energy thing is it. Um, it it's, and when I say pioneer phase, in a pioneer phase, you're not going to find jobs. In the pioneer phase of things, it's the 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 um, the hobbyist or the tinkerer or that person who's got an idea, as we all do, and puts it out there and develops it, and it catches on. And if it doesn't catch on, and you make mistakes, which you will, you know, you just keep on doing it until you get it. Get it right. That that's where we are with re, re- When it comes to now, once again, in my opinion, particularly in the United States of America, when it comes to law literacy education, and that's a big word because the law is really huge. But when you when you African Americans, we're on a critical mass basis, in my opinion, just me, you might think differently, and that's okay. I think we're law literate on a critical mass basis. And here's what I'm saying. We have all these, particularly black men, we have all these homicides of black men. Basically, on a service, it looks like African-American men can do not know how to defend themselves. I'm not talking about a fist fight, but I'm talking about when it comes to dealing with law enforcement because under the law literacy, there's law enforcement literacy. All right. Um, example, the Eric Gartner case, or the late Eric Gartner case in New York. How, would, how should you handle that situation? Because it's a literacy thing, it's an education thing. How, how would, how, what's the proper way for an individual, regardless of race? Well, let's say black in this case. What's the proper way for, or the best way for an African American man in the exact same situation as Eric Gardner and live? We'll talk about that. Uh, Walter Scott, the late Walter Scott, South Carolina, pulled over for a broken taillight in South Carolina. He bolted from the car, was shot in the back by the cop. Now, the, the guy the cop that shot him back, he's in prison. Now, but I want to get, what I want to discuss is, and this is what I'm talking about, law literacy and going back to Booker T. Washington. What kind of education or literacy would he need? So he would have stayed up, you know, not even placed himself in that position to get shot. So now, based on that, the way I'm looking at it, for African Americans or anybody else, where the money will be made, okay, because right now I'm looking at law 
law literacy education or I haven't got coined the right term for it, urban law uh, literacy education. I haven't coined the right term for that yet. But basically, there's there's a market out there where if you can educate people on the basics of law without going to law school and an expensive law school, that's an industry right there. I mean, because you can hold classes, webinars, seminars, conferences um, on a community level, but like I say, that it, it that's where the ball's going. So, anyway, going back to Booker T. Washington, and, and that's why I'm linking in with this, he really, in my opinion, he really dealt with the fundamentals of, and he looked at what were the social and economic problems or challenges for African Americans then. All right, and then what could you do now or what could you learn now? Within a matter of months, you can go out and make a, earn a living doing it. Now, Tuskegee, I, I, I visited that campus like in 1999. So it's, it's basically academic now. But when, when, when uh, Booker T. Washington started Tuskegee, all right, they had, um, so they were building their own buildings, you know, growing most of their food. Uh, some of the people that, that read Up From Slavery um, when he first published it, some of those people that read that book actually started their own towns, all right, which That's sort of because you got communities popping up right now globally. Um, he, I mean, he wasn't originally in any of that, but so he had a he had, Booker T. Like I say, he was a the way I look at him is an innovator and a pioneer. And a lot of the some of the social problems that we have right now, I think if we get back in Booker T. mode uh, in the future, some of those problems could be solved. Like taking a, a case like Bill Cosby. In order to for him to have a different try, uh, outcome, you need about a hundred different Bill Cosby's, but they're entrenched into the political system. In other words, a la Claude Anderson, they're you know, for instance, somebody who has a public relations firm uh, kept the Bill Cosby story out there for what over two three years. That's expensive. So somebody, some PR firm or PR firms that we don't even know the name of, they make money from that. If you look at, if you, and one day we'll make Mike do a, a podcast on this. If you look how much money was spent to get a conviction of Bill Cosby, of the PR firms, the reporters, uh, the elections that were bankrolled, um, there's a lot of jobs and businesses and, I guess, industries that were involved that nobody's talking about. But in order to sustain that, you might need 10, 20, 30 Bill Cosby's in the background with the unseen hand orchestrating all that. But before we even get to that stage, 
All right. And my, once again, in my opinion, we need to get back to the basics of a Booker T. Washington and uh, get literate in what's on the landscape right now that needs to be solved. What kind of skill do I need to develop right now or within a matter of, let's say, 24 to 36 months uh, where I can earn an income and essentially be left alone? Because what was fascinating about when Booker T. Washington was alive and, and what what inspired some people who read the book Up From Slavery was black town systems started, not all of them, but uh, one place in particular, Deerfield, um, Deerfield, Colorado. Uh, the guy who, black man who read that book started Deerfield, uh, Deerfield, Colorado. It's a ghost town now, but some of those townships are still uh, available. Uh, one of the people that he met Booker T. Washington met um, uh, Jake uh, Jake Simmons uh, Jr. Uh, became an oil uh, billionaire, and not billionaire, but uh, oil millionaire, oil tycoon, an Oklahoma black man, and he was a rancher. We need black ranchers out there. And he also helped organize the OPEC cartel, which is nothing but billionaires, in West Africa. So, um, like I said, we, in my opinion, we need to get back to the basics of economics and um, go from there. And I'm going to play one audio, then I'm going to open up the um, phone lines for any comments. Uh, this is just on the solar aspect. But there are other things, like I say, law education, law literacy needs to be taught. From, matter of fact, even a kindergarten book where people can comprehend it so people won't get caught out here and get shot and killed. But anyway, uh, this is on um, uh, what they're doing in um, East Africa with solar. And uh, this is available. This kind of innovation is available right here in the United States now, but hardly anybody acting on it. People who live in towns and cities in Uganda and many other African countries have some access to grid electricity to light their homes and power their businesses. But many rural people aren't connected at all. But simply waiting for the grid to arrive isn't good enough for entrepreneurs like Moses Akera. He recognizes there's a good business to be made, harnessing the power of the sun. I really prefer solar to be used in the community like this because it remains the property of the clients. You don't pay bills and you don't buy fuel like somebody using generator. So solar energy is the best option for many rural Ugandans. But being new to the industry, many solar retailers like Moses were struggling to make their businesses a success. We don't have capacity uh, to advertise ourselves, our products. We don't have capacity uh, to have quality technical training. So the Rural Energy Foundation, a not-for-profit organization, 
introduced the Solar Now program in 2007. Its aim, to spread the benefits of electricity throughout rural Africa by providing training and support to existing solar retailers like Moses. And they encourage other retailers and entrepreneurs to start selling solar equipment from scratch. Most of these retailers need to be supported in terms of training so that they can be able to run their businesses better. They also need support in terms of market awareness because so many people out here in the field do not know about solar, so we need to come and enlighten them. As well as training, the Rural Energy Foundation loans retailers portable demonstration kits, which they use to drum up business in local markets. What we're trying to do is these people are off-grid and they do not have access to electricity. So we're trying to show them how solar can improve their lives. For instance, we try to show them how they can make money from solar. For instance, here with us we have a shaver, so they can use this to have barbershops. We also show them how they can use it to use light at their homes. See, when you have this light in your house, the children can study at night. They can use it in their shops to work longer hours, and they can use it at home. If retailers want to use the Solar Now brand, they have to commit to providing high-quality installations and good after-sales service. The Rural Energy Foundation helps them achieve this by training solar technicians. We're trying to get the entrepreneurs to sign service contracts. So when they sell the product, they, it also comes with after-sales service. Let's say they have to check uh, to make a phone call to the customer after a certain period to check if the system is working. And then uh, till after some time through the service contract, they also have to go and actually do the inspection of the system. The Rural Energy Foundation has trained over 200 retailers in nine African countries. So far, they've sold 57,000 solar home systems and 36,000 solar lanterns. They've helped at least 400,000 people, saved nearly 5 million litres of kerosene and 12,000 tonnes of CO2 each year. Basil Okelo is impressed and has decided to buy the equipment from Moses to set up his own solar barbershop and phone charging business. He's taking advantage of a credit scheme which helps entrepreneurs buy equipment from SolarNow retailers to get their businesses going. SolarNow is giving me a loan. I'm going to make a down payment of 25% now. Uh, later, in three months' time, I'll make another 25%, making a total of 50%. Then the remaining I'll complete within a period of a year. With his system now installed, Basil is optimistic about the future because this is a new investment I'm going into. I have never been to this business before, but uh, as I see, I have the expectation that I, I'll, make me, I'll make money. Moses is growing his solar retail business too. He already had a shop in town. With support from the Rural Energy Foundation, he's now set up a small village branch to cater specifically for his rural customers. Rural Energy Foundation, is very important to us. If they help us training technician, we shall be in position to expand all over. We hope that others will also adopt the private sector development approach. We don't want to be unique. We want to spread the word that this is a really efficient approach to get the technology diffused deeply into the rural markets. The Rural Energy Foundation plans to expand into other African countries and broaden its range of sustainable technologies. Solar panels are now becoming a common sight here on homes, and shops buy them as well to run radios and offer phone charging, 
increasing their income and enabling people to communicate. And to everyone's delight, the local bar has installed a fridge powered by the sun. The owner is pleased with his investment. Yeah, we are happy because it's cold. The uh, beer tastes better, and so I get more customers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that like I say, that's going on. Uh, what they're doing to sell solar in East Africa, actually all over the continent, but is they're educating people uh, first, and then they're you know the sales come after that. Now switching that over here in the United States, as in relationship to Booker T. Washington. Like I said, in my opinion, he was an innovator and a pioneer. And to, once again, in my opinion, to solve some of these social um, problems over here, we need, to, we need to get on that first floor and develop our economics. Um, and part of that is educating people uh, in some areas that need to be, for instance, it, I'm looking at these, these uh, multiple homicides of black men by the police. Um, the way I'm looking at it now, all right, is not the only way to look at it, but the way I'm looking at it now is what do black men, particularly younger black men, need to learn to stay alive? All right. And part of that, in my opinion, is becoming law literate and law enforcement literate. Another thing that goes that melds in right with that is we need to become politically literate. Now, I I over the weekend I ran across a video, I think it was on YouTube, which I think is pretty inspiring. Mike the mother of Mike Brown from uh Ferguson, Missouri. Um She's running for office. I don't know how long that video was taken, but she's running for office. I like I, I like her doing that. Um, I don't know who's coaching or anything like that, but you know, Warren Houston that might be an innovative class within the People's Law Study Group. You know, bringing people in and teaching. You know, because it'll help if she becomes law literate and. You know, maybe a class or a session or how to run for office because there's a whole lot of black mothers out here who've lost their son uh, to gun violence in one way or another. Um, and if you were, if you, if you learn how to be low literate and put, get some political literacy under you, run for office. I mean, your credibility would shoot way up. I'm just throwing up some ideas I think we need out there because um, the the marching and the protest strategies, and some people look at those as solutions. In my opinion, it's not working, but, which is another reason why I like Booker T. Washington, particularly when he was alive. Um, the strategies that were going on at Tuskegee Institute 
worked. They worked. People came to the school, and uh, during that phase, I guess it was because a lot of entrepreneurs popped out of that place. You know, uh, a lot of teachers popped out of that place. All right. Uh, some of them, they don't talk about it, became millionaires. No, really, nobody talks about that side of it. Um, like I say, the school now is basically heavily, heavily academic. All right. Back when he was doing it, which is the way we're putting our school together, is basically, because I'm not high on academics, I'm bigger on on um, you know the practical side of it. However, with the law, it's more of an academic type thing. But and you need that. So if you guys got any idea, what would here's the question of the day: What would Booker T. Washington do? And then I mean for the Bill Cosby case, the the um, uh, so Bill Cosby won't get caught up in that situation because if you're educated. Um, you won't get caught up in that situation. And I'm not talking about, well, if he didn't, I'm not talking about the reckless behavior part. But like I say, George Soros donated $7 million to various district attorney races in the state of Philadelphia, uh, uh, excuse me, state of Pennsylvania. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb on this one. But I don't think you're gonna see George Soros brought up on any criminal charges in the state of Pennsylvania anytime soon. Bill Cosby on the other hand, and if nothing wrong with where he did donated his money, it's his money. All right. He donated his money to a lot of academic causes. And maybe he donated to a, a, a DA's race. I, I just never heard of it. Correct me if I'm wrong. But he didn't donate to any. He didn't donate to any uh, DA race in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. So, um, question today: What would Booker T. Washington do? Because he was he was an innovative pioneer, but the, the, the platform was education. And I think if we we get think with his mindset, we can start, turn some things around uh, within a relatively short period of time because that that's one of the things of Booker T. Washington. He came up with strategy. I mean, like that's one strategy: making bricks. You go to Tuskegee back then. I don't know if you can do it now. Learn how to make bricks, make good quality bricks. And how to sell those bricks. I, I haven't run anybody lately that that's into that, but so but that was timely. Actually it was timely it was timely even now. But he looked at the landscape once again and saw what was needed and saw what he can do now. And once as we all know, here's a guy who was started out life legally as a slave. So what can he didn't have an internet connection. So what can we do? Does you know whatever 
what ideas do you have? Put it out there, sharing with us on based on the landscape that's out here today. What kind of education do you think is needed uh, to solve some of these social economic problems? And that idea that you come up with actually can be converted into a business because that's one of the things that Booker T. Washington. People don't frame it that way, but that's one of the things it is. All right, uh, if you have any ideas that you want to share on Booker T. How Booker T. Washington's innovation and education strategy could be applied to today's world in 2018 and beyond. The call-in number is 619-768-2945. That's 619-768-2945. One of the strategies that, because Booker T, they produced a lot of teachers when he was living. All right. A lot of, in my opinion, one of the type of teachers that needs to be put out would be people that teach law literacy. I'm not talking about law professors that are at a three- or four-year law school, but I'm talking about basic law literacy that that needs to be reframed where people from first grade, actually from kindergarten to 12th grade, can comprehend it. Operative word here is comprehend it. And the reason why I'm saying that is On the law school level in the United States, particularly with HBCUs, there are only six black law schools, HBCU law schools in the United States. That's it. Six. Forty million African Americans, six law schools. So there's a gap there. The Bar Association, the ABA, American Bar Association, is only African Americans make up only 3% of American Bar Association. So over half of those numbers are African American women. Um, medical school, there are only three African American medical schools in the United States. So looking at least the way I'm looking at it from a Booker T. Washington, based on some of the social ills going on today, uh, law would be one area that people need to be educated on. Um, because if you go to law school, it's expensive for the most schools. I mean, you, you're going to drop. You want to drop a little money on it, but it doesn't have to be law. It could be any any field that we're looking at because um, Claude Anderson, first stage economics, um, and I think that's where we at, people. You might have a different opinion, but I think that's where we at. We need to get our economics strong. It could be solar, growing crops, law, but that's something that I haven't mentioned because there's a whole lot. But we need to get our economics together. 410, what say you? Uh, good morning, Brother L.A. How you doing? Fine, fine. You know, I, all weekend I was thinking about what you said. Bill Cosby was sitting up there as a lone wolf. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, look, uh, 
Before I get started, let me put in a disclaimer because I'm about to say some things that may offend somebody. Okay. Uh, the views and opinions that are going to be expressed by me and the caller, my name is Connie, is not the views and opinions that is expressed by the radio host, his staff, or his sponsors. I'm solely responsible for the comments that I'm about to make, and the thing is, if anyone has any problems with it, I'm giving the radio host permission to give out my telephone number, and if someone wants to make prank calls, or either they want to challenge me on what I'm about to say, they can call me anytime, 24-7. So the thing is, the views and opinions are expressly mine and not the radio host. Uh, okay. I want to start on with three things. First thing with Bill Cosby, you know there's an old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, right. Bill Cosby got too big for his britches. And if, if, and if the power structure wants to get a black man, all they have to do is find a white woman to say he did something bad to me and he's, and he's in trouble. And they aren't going to let up until they get him. Because nine times out of ten, the American public is going to go along with that and it never fails. And that's what happened to Bill Cosby. They couldn't get him any other kind of way. So they went they went to the old drawing board and they pulled out a white woman and said that he raped her and drugged her and everything else. And that gets them too. So what happened is you know, uh, he left himself point. You make Connor, you make a good point there because if you take the Bill Cosby case, you take the Emmett case, the Emmett Till case, you take the Black Wall Street case the common denominator in all three is a black man just allegedly disrespected a white woman. Yeah, and I don't want you to agree with me, Brother L.A., because you got a radio show. No, no, but But it never fails. It never fails. And, look, yeah. uh, Brother Consu, ever what his name is, and, look, I know he meant well. He said that a black person's gonna have to explain things to black people because they have a hard time they they probably have a hard time understanding where a goal is set and and what is needed to do that. Look, brother L.A., black people are not fools. Okay, if it's explained right, there will come. Now, you know, there's a Bible verse. I don't go to church that much, but Jesus said where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is. If black people don't see a payoff on doing something, then they aren't going to participate with it in faith and with their money. And the thing is, you can march all you want to, but marching don't feed your family, it don't pay your rent, and it don't keep the water and the lights off. So with that being the case, Black people aren't going to be enthusiastic about coming along with anything a person has to say. Uh, you know, I'm like this year. If there ain't no money in it, you can't put no money in my pocket, then, you know, I'm going to listen to you, but I'm not going to go wholeheartedly in what you're saying because I don't see where it's going to benefit me economically and sometimes socially. So, you know, I'll go along with it, but like I said before, I'm not going to be 100% with you. 
And I'm going to give you a case in point. The only people that's been able to get away with this, and again, I put that disclaimer in to shield you from any criticism or any blame. The only people that's been able to get over with this deal about having black people pay money and receive nothing is religion. You know, all a preacher has to say is like, hey, if you tithe or you pay your dues, you'll get your wing and your halos and a golden pair of slippers and you can walk around heaven all day long and sip sip milk and honey and you don't have to worry about nothing. That's Christianity. And in Islam, all you do is tell a person, hey, look, when you die, if you strap a bum to your chest, you'll be rewarded in paradise. You'll be given 69 versions and you'll be able to drink milk and honey in paradise. In fact, I started to become a Muslim when I heard that, but I got scared when they wanted me to strap a bum to my chest, so that didn't work for me. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing is, look, Booker T. Washington did something, and his model's been copied by, by several people. Booker T. Washington Washington put in an infrastructure, and I I name those things out that he created. And the thing is, Booker T. Washington was able to put a staff around him, and he put some people, and he had a foundation with that Tuskegee Institute. Today, Booker T. Washington would be known as a racist because he says, look, all I want to do is be left alone. You can have your politics. You can have your community. All I want to do is go in and just build what we need and be left alone. And and the thing is, you know, and I, well, you don't know, but I'm going to say this. Donovan Elijah Muhammad did it. Marcus Garvey did it. And for a while, the Black Panthers did it. In fact, the Black Panthers were so good at it. Herbert Hoover said they was the most dangerous black organization out there during the uh, Black Power Civil Rights era because they served the needs of the people and the people could see a benefit in them supporting their movement. So the thing is, we have seen it work, but now all of those people that I just named, including Booker T. Washington, was always referred to by the intelligentsia of the black community and the bourgeoisie of the black community and the black elites and these secret societies always said, hey, he, uh, well, they label Booker T. Washington as a Uncle Tom. And these radical groups, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Black Panthers, they labeled them as radicals. And I'll end on this note. When, Mar- when uh, Martin Luther King finally opened his eyes, And he saw, hey, look, I've been leading my people the wrong way. And he started redistributing the wealth. And all you have to do is listen to his last speech where he had been to the mountaintop. A lot of people don't listen to that entire speech. But if you listen to that entire speech, he was headed towards self-determination and trying to go in and set up an economic base. And that's what got him killed. Now, that speech at the Riverside Church didn't get him killed. And his uh, 
his uh, objection to the Vietnam War. It was that last speech in Memphis, and you listen to it and tell me if that's the Martin Luther King that white society always put in front of black folk. And with that being said, I'm gonna get off and get your response, but I want the I want you to play that disclaimer again because I don't want you to get in trouble. Okay, uh, you you saying well everything you said makes sense to me. I'm gonna have to listen to that speech again. I mean, listen to it all the way through. Because um, I remember my mother, my mother bought uh, you know when albums were popular, she bought that album or that speech. Um, there's something very profound that um, I, black folks or any consumer, if it um, what, what's in it for me, if they don't see a payoff, they're not going to get involved with because I'm, I'm thinking of well, two things. With Booker T. Washington, when he was alive at Tuskegee Institute, those, those uh, professors that he was, uh, or class that he was teaching, basically, you go, you take, I don't know how long, it, I don't know if they would give him certificates, degrees, or whatever back then, but the payoff, they didn't have to wait a long time for a payoff. They can learn, you know, farming, or brick lane, or even a profession, you know, something with teaching, and then go back to their community, and start earning a paycheck. Um, so, I, what do you think? Uh, and this is not only you, kind of, but anybody listening. Um, what do you think? How, how should that be presented to people today? Let, let's take something like the law. Well, if, if you're like talking you say, to me, are looking for yeah. they're looking for a payback. Well, well, brother L.A., if you're talking to me, look. I don't know who, who uh, got the black people motivated, but the first thing a black person wants to do is come out with a 50C3, nonprofit. Well, the thing mm-hmm. is, look, you can't, you can't support a nonprofit if you ain't making a profit. You know, right. uh, the thing is, I gave you uh, an example of what will motivate people. Look, I used to do drugs. It was a habit, but I was able to break that habit. You know, I used mm-hmm. to like sex. Father Time broke that. So I don't have that habit anymore. So the one habit that you can't break is eating. You got to eat to live. Right. No right. doubt about it. Now, I don't, I, you, you know, you can do a lot of things, that's, but you ain't going to stay in this world if you don't eat. Right. That's number one. And. Yeah, and look, you got to have clothing. I mean, you ain't gonna walk out in this society naked and not get in trouble. That's, that's number two. That's number two. And the other, and the other thing is, you gotta have a roof over your head. Now, there's a whole lot of homeless people out there, but if you, but if you can avoid it, you're gonna try and get shelter over your head. And the other thing is, yeah, we can walk for exercise, and people do walk a lot. But the thing is, you got to have a mode of transportation, or you got to have a transportation system to support your need to move around in the society. And the other thing mm-hmm. is, if you get sick, I don't care how much money it costs, you're going to try to get well. So, 
if you serve those consumer needs and invest in those consumer needs, and you set it up with a for-profit corporation where the stakeholders and shareholders in that community can see a profit or they can see a benefit that serves their needs, we aren't going to have a problem. You know, I mean, look, you got these civil rights leaders out here talking about love your neighbor and love everybody. You know, hey, I ain't in for love. I'm out here to make sure that I can live a, a normal life and, and not have to have to worry about where I'm going to get my next meal from or where I'm going to mm-hmm. get clothes from and what have you. So with that being said, all black folks have to do is turn within themselves and say, look, you know, hey, find, uh, I think the formula is what you find, three other people to think like you did, find three other people. And what happens is, Invest in those things that you need. I mean, just gas in your cars would do enough to go ahead on and finance the things that you need. But the thing is, unless black people get off of this thing about what the first law of nature is self-preservation, then we're always going to have a problem. And that's where Booker T. Washington and those people that I named after him, that's what happened when that message was given out to those people. They saw a need for it. And they saw, hey, look, if I have a need for this, I can keep money in my community and I can build my schools and build my hospitals and everything else. And see, that message hasn't been put out there because it takes a lot of hard work to do that. And and that's right. where we missed the boat at. And I'm saying the only people that's been able to make this thing work is preachers because they give the people a promise. Now, it's not a very good promise, but the thing is, they, yeah, yeah. they do give the people something. Yeah, yeah, well. But, but that, that's ready. where we got to go. Mm. Yeah, those five bases are important. Well, I tell you yeah, what, if you don't is. address them, you got a problem. Yeah. And, and you know um, what? It's there are plans to, to get this thing done. There are plans out there, and there's some people's communities doing it, but it's not being done on a a wide basis. You know, everybody right. thinks that, hey, look, I can I can do this thing by myself. Look, Donald Trump, I think I heard somewhere, he had 15,000 creditors. And those 15,000 creditors, amongst them was banks, venture capitalists, private equity funds, and everything else, which – bought in another million or so people. He didn't just jump, and look, his daddy gave him a million dollars, but he needed more than a million dollars to do what he had to do. So when we look at these people that tells us we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, what we need to do is take a two before and knock them in the mouth because, look, if it's an infrastructure of a million or so people that's out here doing things uh, in their community. When you look at the Koreans, uh, one Korean don't put up a store. It's a whole bunch of them. You look at a Chinese putting up a Chinese restaurant, it's not one Chinese family doing it. It's a bunch of families that's doing that. And that's what we got to look at. And that's what got to be preached to the people. But if black people see that they're going to get something out of this thing, then you ain't going to have a problem with your message. And it doesn't have to be complicated. All of those five things I just named, everybody can identify with that. 
But our leaders, our so-called leaders, ain't addressing that. They're only addressing, hey, give me some money, put it in their pocket, get a Cadillac, and get a mistress. That's about it. And I'll get off and let somebody else talk because I ain't going to hog all your well, time. You're absolutely right because I'm thinking about um, the, in every black community, there's a Chinese food joint. And like you said, food, matter of fact, not only black neighborhood, white ones too. Um, <laughs> food is number one. Yes, sir. As a matter of fact, last year, last year when uh, you know hurricane season here in Florida, um, and you know my little neck of the woods, Central Florida, they uh, you know hurricane shifted suddenly and came through here, so we didn't have any power for about two three days, and um, the grocery stores were closed. But guess who was open feeding people and lines out the door? The Chinese food restaurant. Every That's last right. one of them had a, had a generator, something hooked up, <laughs> and That's they were they, they were feeding the, they were feeding the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Brother L.A. And if, they, don't uh, have, they don't have political problems. We got. You're right. You're right. That, well, that those first five, those first five states. I mean. Um, Fundamentals that you're talking about. I, I get I, the way I look at it. We on a critical mass basis. We need to get back to basis because you bring up a good point with Trump. You can't do it by yourself. Another example. There's a book called Profiles of Genius, and in the book, one of the profiles they talk. These are stories about guys who went from nothing to rich. Uh, one of the profiles is about Tom Monahan, the guy who started um, Domino's Pizza. At one point, Tom Monahan owed, he was bankrupt. He owed 900, he had 900 credits money. And some kind of way, he just kept on, he, he negotiated with all 900 of those credits. And, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't disappear, he kept on the radar with him. He renegotiated with all 900 of those credits, and he just he sold he sold his way out of debt. Pizza, he, he just kept on selling pizza. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, and that, you're not going to do it by yourself. You're not going to do it by yourself. And and uh, brother Elliot, yes, you yes. don't want to do it by yourself. Okay, look. Mm-hmm. One person, if you invest a million dollars, you're 100% involved, which means right. you've got 100% equity in your in your project. If it goes down, you lost a million dollars. But if right. you got 10,000 investors that give you an uh, amount of money, that's why you see these people going to, on the stock market. If you, if you get, what, 100,000 investors, what happens is, you can keep part of your money. You won't lose it all. And if you right. notice, most of the time, these guys that really – oh, you're going over here at the hospital. Most of the time, when, when these guys want to expand anything, they don't use their own money. They, do, they use some of it to get it started, the seed money. But most of the time, they get investors. And that's another thing. Look, Brother L.A., everybody can't go in business. 
you know, the first thing you hear our people say, well, we need to put up our own businesses. Well, the thing is, everybody doesn't want the headache, nor do they have the talent to go in business, but everybody can be an investor. And that's the thing. Right. You know, you can have a solid partner while while you you can become a solid partner while you work and getting a paycheck and still make money off it. And that's where we make a mistake. We take something and run with it without putting any any thought to it. Everybody in right. the white community is not a business owner. But there's a whole lot of people that are investors. And the thing with investors is, hey, everybody can donate everybody can invest some money but they don't lose it all because there's what? Safety in numbers. You always say that lone wolf always gets eaten or even starves to death. And if you notice in nature, especially mammals, they always are in a herd or in a pack. And they're doing that because, number one, they have to protect themselves. And the other thing is when they stake out a territory, it takes all of them to protect it against the predator. And you and I know if there's any any group of people that has a predator is the black community, and that's the thing. So with that being the case, we need yeah. to go back to nature. We don't need a whole lot of education to follow the examples of mammals out there in the jungle. We just need to go ahead on and make and do a kiss message. Keep it simple, stupid, and we can make it. Well, we're going to make it. Right. Very good point. Matter of fact, I've been watching this show um, in Showtime Billions on Amazon. It was a quote, uh, somebody being on there, where one is weak, many are strong. And that's basically what you've been saying. Um, yeah. What, what's that clip you always play, that African saying, many hands does what? Oh, yeah, many hands make life work. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to get off there and let yeah. you talk to some other people. Okay. Thank you, Connie, for that uh, feedback. Yeah, many hands make light work. Um, we might end the show on that today. But let, let me go to the next caller. Area code 352. Your mic is open. Uh, this is uh, Sister Viata, and I want to say I 100% approve the previous message. I was laughing so hard. Because the brother is so right on about that, so thank you. All that wisdom just made me laugh. It was so refreshing. So I wholeheartedly approved the previous message. So you're good, by L.A. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, one thing about the internet, we're totally unregulated here, so we, you know we can say what we want to say. But all this information is spot on. And you know, you know what I have been doing is getting back to nature, just as he talked about. It. I have been simplifying my life, getting back to nature. I have freedom. I have peace. I have health. There's just so many benefits to what he just talked about. So if we can just get that message across to our brothers and sisters out there, I don't care what color they are, because we need communities that are healthy. I don't care what color they are. So let's just get that message simplify, keep it simple, stupid, all that. We need to really promote that because that that's what brings health to the whole community. I need that in my yard. I'm making me a flower bed out there in the country, so. Yeah, well, well, might be on. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is country. You you got some good land out there. Yeah. I used to make oh, my money. Right. You talked to somebody. Okay. Um, can't learn a lot watching that animal planet because, you know, 
if you look at nature, um, from insects to any kind of animal, basically it's it's uh, packs, herds, flocks. Um, you know, ducks or geese. I forgot which one of those. They 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 fly higher than eagles do, but they don't fly solo. Geese, you, you know, mean? They, you know, they, huh? Geese? Yeah, geese, yeah. Well, they fly. Geese and ducks they fly in flocks, so you know they can fly. I mean, when you track them, they they fly faster when they're together as a flock as opposed to going solo. So, well, you know, here in Florida, you see, you see them all the time, but, um, Uh, yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about what he said about Bill Cosby, because it it, it did really make a lot of sense. We're hearing so many different perspectives about Bill Cosby, but it does make sense when, um, these black men who have a high profile, get involved with women of a different race, they're going to be watched like an eagle. So um, that's another lesson for these men out there. The the system that we live in is envious and jealous and hateful toward men who are having relationships with, with uh, white women or whatever. And so, yeah, you got to watch your behavior when you're doing that kind of stuff. So, and especially Bill Cosby trying to, his ego got too big, like he said. So, all of these things about Bill Cosby are great lessons. That's why he's such a powerful messenger, because we're getting lots of lessons from this whole thing, and that can improve our lives and help us live a simple life. You don't want to be successful out too successful out there, because then you're going to be under the microscope of this system that's going to hate on you eventually if you don't do what they tell you to do. So let's all learn these lessons and simplify our lives. Thank you, L.A., for this show. Yeah. Well, one thing, um, because not everybody's going to go for the simple life. Because you do, have, and when I say that, let's say not everybody wants to live rural. A lot of people want to want to live on what I call on the grid in a, a New York, Dallas, Houston, Miami, Chicago. When you live on the, in cities like that on the grid, um, and I'm, I'm, I've been watching, I've been doing a binge watch on the TV show Billions. Just uh, basically, Billions is about a guy who's a billionaire, and it's a pissing contest between him and a district attorney who has higher ambitions of being governor one day. Um, and the and the, the DA is essentially the elected DA not an assistant DA, the elected politician DA, he's trying to, he basically he's trying to put this guy in jail, he's trying to put him in prison. And uh, so, that, you know, they're going back and forth on that. So, when, and these are white people. So when you live on the, if you live in a place like a Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, D.C., or whatever, no matter what color you are, that's a highly competitive competitive environment. And if you don't have, uh, for instance, just like with Cosby, if you're living, because Montgomery County, um, let's let see what towns in uh, Montgomery County, um, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Um, 
when you live in an area that is where you can be cut, like for instance, and there are a bunch of counties here in the United States where you're not going to become a you're not going to become a campaign this year. So in Montgomery County, um, let's see, Montgomery County, PA. Let's take a look at that county because I haven't done that yet. Um, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, has a population of eight eight hundred uh, eight hundred twenty one thousand seven hundred twenty five people. Uh, the communities within the county are okay. Nothing that mainstream America. They got a bunch of counties. I mean, communities though. Uh, what is it part of? Um, Oh, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania is included in the Philadelphia Camden Wilmington metro area. Okay. So I'm sure that this DA pulled money because, once again, George Soros donated $7 million to various district attorney races throughout the state of Pennsylvania. So the, the, the metropolitan area, where the Bill Cosby case was heard, which is Montgomery, which is one of the counties, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. That's a highly populated metro area. Uh, matter of fact, let me get let me get the um, the metro area. Okay, the metro area is the seventh largest metropolitan area uh, I believe in the United States. Oh, wait a minute. It's either seventh or eighth. Wait, the Delaware eighth largest, yeah. Eighth largest combined statistical area in the United States. So Bill Cosby got caught up with no political wolf pack around him. Because one of the things why I'm watching this TV show, um, Billions, on uh, Amazon, is because you can see the correlation between if you're in a large city or in a large metropolitan area, the correlation, the connection between business and politics. And man, so wait, D, matter of fact, business, the, the district attorney's office, and politics, they are all connected. And the only way that your business is going to survive, no matter how big it is or how small it is, is you're going to need to be connected politically some kind of way, which goes back to the law of nature. Um, or even in the insect kingdom, colonies, are going to, look, look how ants roll. There's a colony of them. Look how bees roll. There's a colony of them. Look how hornets roll. There's a colony of them. Hornets are fierce, too. I had a, uh, a hornet's nest uh, some years ago in D.C. And, and blackface, bald-faced hornets, that's what they call Those jokers look fierce, and I, I wouldn't really want to be stung, but I had to stare one down one day. Um, 
I just froze because I know if I made a sudden movement, they do what they do in their kingdom, and then I would have. I, I wouldn't have. Nobody can run that fast. You can't run out. You can't out run a swarm of hornets. But that that's that's what we got to do. We have we have to form our little call them what you want colonies, wolf packs. A lot of these black towns were basically started by just a handful. Sometimes it was just family members of um, uh, people that, you know, they, they started the town. So um, on that note, I'm going to play, um, and this has got to be done on so many levels, but wherever you are in life, just start on that level and get your wolf pack together. I mean, it could be two, you can start with two people, whatever it might be and go from there. I'm going to end it with um, what I call nine friends. So have a good day. to y'all that uh, I seen yesterday that made me smile, but it hurt me to my heart. There's a house next door to me that's been abandoned and uh, the yard, the grass, high as hell and everything couple of abandoned cars out there beside the house. Well, yesterday I get off work about 7 o'clock. A Mexican guy pulled up. He said, these your cars? I said, no. He said, I just bought this house, man. I said, all right, that's what's up. He was like, you know whose cars these is? He said, no. He said, well, I bought the house, not the cars. Okay, I'm like, cool. I'm thinking he's just coming to look at the house. I go back in the house, do a little straighten up. I swear to God, I walk back at the house. Now, I'm getting off about 7.20. It's fucking nine Mexican trucks just pull up. They got fucking beer, lights, and shit, right? So I'm like, what y'all finna do? He said, we finna fix this house. I said, what kind of crew you got working after 7 o'clock? He said, these my the fucking house is fixed this morning they went in there and drywalled that fucking house wow I just left out of there it was a fucking abandoned house that bitch looked new this morning whoo it was an abandoned fucking house. And it looked new this morning. It's an old African proverb. Many hands make light work. I just don't think they're better than us. I just think we won't do nothing together. You're not hearing what the fuck I'm saying. It was an abandoned house yesterday at 7 fucking 15. That bitch is new this morning. He bought a tax lien house. I can't wait to see what they do. I can't wait to see is one family going to live in there. Is they going to... I'm going to get to know the motherfuckers. You best believe me when I make some money, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring us together. And I'm not fucking with a lot of people. 